Good morning, Connection. How are we doing this morning? Pretty good? Pretty good? All right, Thanksgiving break has kicked in a little bit on y'all, so hopefully I can energize us a little bit more this morning. Um, hope you're excited to be in church. I'm very excited to be here. My name's John, and I just serve as one of the pastors here and get the opportunity um, to share with y'all this morning, and I'm thrilled to be able to do so. Um, but one thing I do want to hit before we get into it is um, this past Friday, um, November 17th, was actually our nine-year anniversary as a church, so Yeah. It has been absolutely incredible to see all that God has done in and through this church. Um, to see us starting off in a, in a pond house with just a, a small group of people um, to now where we're at where we have um, four different campuses. Um, obviously here in Statesboro and in Vidalia and Millen and Dublin. And then starting in January, we'll be starting our fifth campus in Pooler. And across all these nine years, um, we've seen 809 people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, um, which is just absolutely incredible. And then we've also seen 1,066 people take their next step um, through baptism and publicly profess their faith in Christ through baptism. So that's another thing that we can absolutely celebrate. And, and I say all of that not to, I don't want it to, us to get confused and to, to think that this is about um, the name Connection Church. All right? It's not about the name Connection Church because um, there's going to come a moment that the name Connection Church, nobody's going to know anymore. Um, all of this has happened because of only one name, and that's the name of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to constantly celebrate um, as that he's, he's the reason any of this has happened. And um, we've just been um, tried our best to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to do, to just share um, his gospel, share his word with others. And we've just seen um, God use us in incredible ways. And it's just been um, incredible to be part of the journey. And um, though we've seen all these things over the past nine years, and one of the things that we say all the time, and we firmly believe this, is that the best is still yet to come. And so we really believe um, that there's more to, um, more to have happen, and we get to be a part of that. Um, in fact, um, coming up on December 3rd, we're going to have our next round of baptisms. And so our, our heart and our desire to see more people um, publicly profess their faith in Christ. And so if you um, have never been baptized before, I encourage you to do that. We, um, we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate God moving in different people's lives. And so it's been an awesome journey. Can't wait to see um, what God does in the next nine years. Um, today, we are continuing this series called How Do I? And the whole concept of this series is um, throughout our lives, we're constantly asking questions. We're constantly either Googling things or we're pulling out our phone and we're asking Siri how to get somewhere. And we're always in this nature of asking questions. And when I was a child, I used to ask a lot of questions as well. In fact, my parents used to give me books called, and the name of the books would be How Things Work, because I just wanted to understand how things actually worked. I don't know if y'all read some of those books growing up, but I just loved understanding all that. I loved asking those questions. But what we realize is that a lot of times we forget to ask the question how in regards to our faith. And so we just leave ourselves in this spot of just kind of going, well, I just, I don't really know how to do that, so we don't do anything with it. And so we wanted to do a very practical series about some of the how-tos in our faith. And so far, we opened up the series and we just talked about what does it look like? How do we actually have a personal relationship with Jesus? What does that look like just on the surface level? What does it actually look like to have that type of personal relationship with God? And then we really wanted to examine what does it look like to have a, a successful prayer life? What does it look like to actually pray? Pray to God. A lot of times prayer, prayer is kind of a confusing thing, especially whenever you're new to your faith of, am I just talking out loud? Or what, am I talking in you know, private? Can God hear me? Is it like Santa Claus where he knows my, I mean, what is it, right? We don't really understand. And so we really looked at what does it look like to understand prayer, to align our prayers with God's heart? And how do we do that on a practical level? And then last week we shared about how do we hear from God? Because does God still speak? You know, I don't, um, 
none of us probably have ever heard God audibly. If you have, that's awesome. Um, but I haven't heard him audibly. So how do we actually hear from God? What does that look like? How do we listen for the voice of God? And so we hope that this series has been practical for you. If you've missed any week, I encourage you to go back and to listen online to li- and to catch back up because each one of these messages somewhat build on themselves. And today we're going to be talking about whenever God asks us to do something, How do we actually do it? How do we actually respond? Because a lot of times when God asks us to do things, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes um, I'm intimidated by it. I'm scared to do that. It's going to put me outside of my comfort zone. I don't really know how to respond. And I think many of us are that same way. And so we're going to look at the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. If you want to begin turning there, uh, we'll be in Judges today, Judges chapter 6 and 7. We're going to look at the life of Gideon and how he responded when God um, asked him to do something. And so um, before we get into that, Um, I want to give a little background on the book of Judges so you kind of know what this whole book is about. The Judges is a book in the Old Testament. And what's going on here is basically the the nation of Israel, these are God's people. Um, Throughout this book, um, basically a cycle occurs. And what happens is God's people disobey him. They go the opposite direction. And so then God basically hands them over to their disobedience and says, you know what, you need to suffer some consequences. You've been disobedient me. You've been doing evil in my eyes. And so he kind of hands them over to maybe a a neighboring nation. And so um, then there just kind of comes a moment where these people cry out to God and say, God, we've messed up. We we, We need to come back to you again. And then God sends what's known as a judge, somebody to come in there to basically speak truth to them and say, you know what, you have gone astray. And this is the direction to head back to God, to restore that relationship with God. And so a judge comes in, restores it, they come back to salvation. And then basically this goes on until that particular judge dies. And it's almost as though the cycle begins again. People begin coming back off course again and God hands them over. They cry back out again, God sends another judge. And what I realized is that that's kind of pretty similar to our lives now aren't they? A lot of times we, we think we got it, we're doing, doing well, and then we kind of begin veering off, and we realize what we veered off, we kind of maybe suffer some consequences in our lives, we cry back out to God, say, God, we need you, we need you, you know, and he's right there, he hasn't left, he hasn't gone anywhere, we've, we've the ones that have turned away, and so I want us to see some of those same cycles in our own lives, so that's kind of what's going on in the book of Judges, and so um, we're going to start off in um, chapter 6, and before we do, let me pray for us, um, I want to do that, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into this. Father, we, we just love you, God, and we thank you for this opportunity where we get to gather, God, where we get to open your word and see what it says, God. I pray that this morning, um, God, you speak to each one of these people with where they're at. God, I don't know what they're going through personally. I don't know what's going on in their lives. I don't know their circumstances. But God, I know that your word speaks to each one of us on a personal level, God. And I pray that um, through the, the preaching of your word that um, God, hearts are moved. God, that you just speak to people. God, you encourage people. That people walk out of here, not confused, but they walk out of here with some practical steps of, of how they can begin listening to you and doing what you say. So God, we just love you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and we lift all this up in your son's name. Amen. All right, so in Judges chapter 6, In the beginning verse, it says this. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. All right, so here we see the beginning of the cycle has occurred, right? See, the Israelites, they've disobeyed God. They've done evil in the eyes of of God. And so he hands them over to this neighboring nation, the Midianites. And he's handed them over to this. This this is the cycle has begun to take place. Then we're going to jump down to verse 7, where it says, when the Israelites cried out, 
uh, to the Lord. And again, right here, this is the point where they're crying out. They recognize we've messed up, and so they're crying out to the Lord. And so we see, again, this, this same continual cycle takes place. Right after this, God provides them a prophet, and he begins speaking to them. And then right after that, he gives them Gideon, and Gideon is representing the judge. And so we're going to now jump to chapter, or excuse me, verse 11, where it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ephrah. I'm going to pronounce all these things wrong, so just forgive me. Um, you don't know how to do it either. So, that belonged to the Joash, the Abzerite, see, I told you, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. All right, I want to give you a little picture of what's going on here. So Gideon is threshing wheat. What this means is this is basically a process of where you're separating the grain from the crop. Basically, you're, you're, you're threshing this, this wheat apart, and so the grain falls down to the, to the ground, and the straw would blow away in the wind. That's what that, that process was, was happening. And so it says that Gideon's in a wine press. Basically, a wine press at this time, it was basically just a, a hole. So Gideon's sitting in a hole, and he's threshing this wheat, and all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and he says, he looks at him and calls him a mighty warrior. The first thing, if you're, you're taking notes that I want you all to write down, is that oftentimes our view of ourselves is different from God's view of ourselves, right? Because let's, let's think about this for a second. Think, put your, yourself in Gideon's shoes, all right? Gideon's sitting there in a hole. The reason he's in the hole is he's fearful of the Midianites, right? If they see him, they might kill him. So he's hiding. Gideon's in hiding, and all of a sudden an angel comes up to him and says, and calls him a mighty warrior. Now, probably what happened is Gideon looked at this and, and kind of did one of these numbers. He kind of looked behind him and it's like, me? You're talking about me? Like, I don't know if you realize this, I'm a full-grown adult sitting in a hole right now. Like, I wouldn't exactly call myself a mighty warrior. But we realize that so often in our lives and in Gideon's life, what God saw in Gideon and what God sees in us is often different from what we see in ourselves. You know, I think about um, my relationship with my wife, Natalie. A lot of times, you know, I wish that she would view herself the way that I view her, right? Because I, I see the beauty in her. I see all these things in her, but so often I feel like she doesn't see that in herself. And I'm like, man, if you could only see yourself the way that I see you. Right? And I'm sure it's the other way around as well. Of where there's times that I get intimidated, there's times that I feel insecure. Every single time I step on the stage, I'm sitting there thinking, who am I to step on the stage? I can't even pronounce words right. Like, who am I to open God's word and try to teach it to people? And right? but, but the way she views me, she sees something else in me. If I could only maybe look at myself the way that my wife looks at me, man, things would be so much different. We finished up a series not long ago. It was actually the series right before this called A Better Story. And the whole idea of this series was looking at identity, was looking at the way that God views us versus the way that we view ourselves, not allowing our past experiences or our past circumstances define who we are. And oftentimes we hear our pastor Brandon say this. He says this all the time. He says that identity is not an issue, it's the issue. And we see the same thing in Gideon here. Immediately, and you're going to see this here in just a second, Gideon begins to question, why are you talking to me like this, God? Why do you think that I'm a mighty warrior? Why do you think that I'm the one that can do this? The more that we can rest in the identity that God has given us, the, the more confidence it's going to give us 
to continue to do what he has for us. But we have to rest in that identity. We have to rest in the way that God views each one of us. Right after this, we see Gideon's response. And he says, pardon me, my Lord? Again, this is Gideon saying, like, like you're, you're talking to me? But then we almost see a natural human response. Listen to what Gideon does. He says, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Here's what Gideon's doing. He's saying, look, we've been in the hand of the Midianites for the past seven years. God, where have you been? And we're, we're almost taken back at like, how dare Gideon talk to God like this? But I think a lot of times this is probably our response to God. When things aren't going the way that we thought they should go or when our circumstances aren't going the way that we think they should be going, a lot of times it's easy for us to look to God and say, God, where are you? What the heck? What are you, what are you doing in any of this? And we begin to question these things. And so it's not uncommon for our response to be very similar to Gideon's. But I want us to pay very close attention to how God responds to Gideon. This is what God says in verse 14. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I now not sending you? God doesn't fire back at Gideon and say, how dare you question me? How dare you do these things? What God does is he reaffirms Gideon's call. God reaffirms what he called Gideon to to begin with because he knows that we're going to question things. We're going to have questions about things. And the thing that God always does is he comes back to us and he reaffirms that call on our lives. And then Gideon responds in another way that I feel like many of us respond. Again, he says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but now how can I save Israel my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. How often when God asks us to do something, do we look at ourselves and go, I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. The second thing I'd, I'd want y'all to write down, I want y'all to remember is that God intentionally asks us to do things that we're not ready for. God intentionally asks us to do things that we're not ready for. That's what's going on here. God, God recognizes that, that Gideon's going to recognize that he, he feels like he's the least in his family. He feels like he doesn't have anything to offer. Many of us, when God asks us to do things, we have that same response. We're like, what do I have to offer? Just like I shared earlier, whenever I have to step on the stage, like, what do I have to say to encourage them? What, I'm not smart enough. I don't know this word good enough. There's so many people in this congregation that know that word so much better than I. Who, who am I to do this? And we begin to think that we just don't have what it takes. You know, there's a, a, a verse that a lot of times people um, misinterpret. And it's the one in uh, 1 Corinthians where it talks about, where people think it says that basically God won't give us more than we can handle. And we've talked about that in church before, that, that really that's not what the verse says. The verse actually says that God will never tempt us beyond what we can bear. And what that means is that basically he's never going to have a, a temptation of a sin be so great that our only response is to actually commit that sin. He's always going to give us a way out. We always have a way not to commit that sin. He'd never tempt us to that level. But the thing that he does do 
is that he does put more on us than we can, can handle. He does ask us more than we're capable of because that's an opportunity for God to step in and to walk in that with us. That happens all of the time. But how do we respond to those things? You know, there's a, a verse in, in the book of Acts that I want, and you don't have to turn to this, it'll be on the screen. Um, but it's in Acts chapter eight, and this is where um, God's asking this guy named Ananias to go um, up to this guy named Saul. And Saul, we know, is um, the person that ends up becoming um, Paul, who ended up writing most of the New Testament, incredible, um, uh, incredible, I guess, person in, in the New Testament that we see. But before Paul had his conversion, he was known as Saul, and he killed Christians. He wasn't a good guy. And I want to read this story of, of God asking Ananias to step out and to do something and when Ananias didn't really feel like maybe he was the guy for the job. Um, so I want us to look at this. In, in verse 10 of Acts chapter 8, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now listen to Ananias' response. He said, uh, Lord, Ananias replied, um, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is going to say, hey, God, um, I've heard about this guy. He's been killing people. Um, not really a good dude. Um, so I'm thinking maybe this isn't a, a good idea for me. Listen to what the Lord said back to Ananias. In verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Whenever Ananias questioned, am I the guy for the job? Or maybe this isn't a smart decision. Maybe, I don't, I don't know if this is actually right. The immediate response, yet again, is God reaffirms the call, but he makes it very clear. He said, Ananias, Go. I've called you to do this, and this is what I'm wanting you to do. But Ananias didn't feel like he was ready. Ananias didn't feel like that maybe he was the guy for the job. And oftentimes when God asks us to do things, we're going to have those same feelings. But the thing is, is that's an opportunity for us to lean in to the strength that God has for us. In Psalm 119, um, it says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light for our path. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the imagery of a lamp on our feet. Because a lamp on our feet, you know what it, it illuminates? It illuminates the area right in front of our free, feet. It doesn't give us spotlight down the rest of the path. It just gives us enough light to see to take one step. And I think that oftentimes when we feel like we don't have what it takes, when we feel like we're not equipped, when we feel like we don't have everything, usually we have enough to take one step. And that's because God's word and God's promises give us enough to take one step. I want you to see what God said to Gideon right after Gideon questioned whether he had what it took. Going back to the book of Judges, in verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. If you're the type of person that underlines things in your Bible, I would underline, I will be with you. 
Because it's in those moments that we question, do I have what it takes? Am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Is this, am, am I the guy for the job? Am I the girl for the job? We can rest in hope of that verse that, where it says that God says, I will be with you. Do we remember that promise? Do we remember that in our lives? After this, Gideon replied in verse 17, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So now Gideon, he recognizes that God's speaking to him, but he's not quite there yet. Gideon still needs something else. And again, if I were the Lord, I'd be like, Gideon, come, come on, man. Like, what do, I, what do I have to do? But God, again, he doesn't respond that way. Instead, it says, and the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Right after this, for the sake of time, I'll just summarize what happens. Basically, Gideon goes and prepares an offering for the Lord. And he takes this, this meat and he puts it up on a rock. And basically, this, this offering is consumed in a blaze of fire. And Gideon responds in verse um, 22 where it says, Allah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So Gideon sees this miracle take place where this, this offering that he presented to the Lord immediately is consumed by fire and Gideon is blown away and he's like, wow, this is incredible. I see that this is the sovereign Gordon, Lord. And so you would, Gord, you would see that Gideon sees the confidence that what God just did. And you would think to yourself, all right, now this is enough. Now this is enough for Gideon to go, you know what, I know God is on my side and he's been telling me that I'm a mighty warrior and so I'm going to believe it. You would think that that's the case. However, that's not the case. Gideon still requires more proof from the Lord. And we're going to jump down a little bit to verse 36. Gideon requires God to prove himself more. In verse 36, it says, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you said. So here's Gideon. Like, I don't know, when I read this, it's almost a little humorous. Like, again, put yourself in God's shoes that like, there's this guy coming to him and say, tell you what, I'm gonna take some, some, a piece of fleece, I'm gonna put it on the ground. Um, if you could get it wet and nothing else wet, then I'll know that you're God, right? It would almost be crazy for us to do that, but that's what Gideon is doing. Look what happens. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowlful of water. So immediately God proves himself to Gideon. God plays along with Gideon's request and does just that. And so now Gideon's like, I'm convinced I'm, I'm on your page. I know what you're doing, God. I'm with you. I can believe in you. You are faithful, right? Wrong. It says in verse 39, Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, he's going to try to trick God. This time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. He's like, maybe there's some type of weird, like, weather scientific phenomenon where the fleece got wet and the ground didn't. So I'm going to switch it up, see if God can work around this, right? I'm going to catch him, right? Well, then we see that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. And so God did exactly, yet again, as Gideon asked. 
when I read through this, I was a little confused because I'm like, I don't think that necessarily we're called to constantly just put God to the test. So I'm like, why is God entertaining this? Why is God going along with this? And what I, what I think is happening here, and this is just my observation, is I think that God is, is building Gideon's confidence. God is, is proving himself faithful to Gideon time and time again because he realizes if he's going to ask Gideon, to go and to battle these Midianites. It's going to be pretty intimidating. He's going to need to rely back on the faithfulness of God. He needs to be able to look back on some things and to remember God's faithfulness. And I think that's what's happening here. The third thing that I would say to you is that God's faithfulness in the past gives us confidence for the future. God's faithfulness in the past gives us confidence for the future. You know, I think many of us, we have times in our lives that we can look back and we can see the faithfulness of God. You know, I was, um, right before the service, we were, um, I was getting prayed for by our prayer team. And as they were praying for me, um, they actually reminded me of some of God's faithfulness in my own life over this past year that um, I wasn't even thinking about in, in that moment. And I just was reminded of God's goodness. And it reminded me of, of how God's been moving in my life. Because sometimes we forget those things. It's easy to forget those things. It's easy to remember all the times that things didn't go well. But sometimes it's easy to forget or to, to remember those times that things are going well and God is faithful. And so I would encourage many of you that when you have those times in your life that you see God's faithfulness, you see his promise, write those things down. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to need to remember those things. That you're going to forget those things. That some circumstance in your life is going to happen. Some trial is going to happen. You're going to begin to question God's goodness. And it's going to be a moment where in order to take another step, you're going to need to be able to look back on God's faithfulness. Well, maybe you're sitting here saying, I just, I don't know. I can't remember any times of God really being faithful. Or I'm, I'm even new to the faith. And so I'm just struggling this. The thing that we have that these Israelites didn't have at the time, whenever we need a time to look back at God's faithfulness, we can always look back on the cross. The cross is our example. Whenever we question, everything else can be going haywire. And we can be thinking, where is God? And all we have to do is to look no further, further than the cross. Because we can see God's goodness that he sent his son for us. God sent his only son for us. That is all the faithfulness. That is all the goodness that we can ever look back to. And that should give us the confidence to continue to take more steps. I think one of the greatest assets that we can have in our faith is confidence in God, is confidence that he will do what he says that he's going to do. And the way that we build that confidence is by continuing to remember all those times that he's been faithful in our lives. So here's what happens. So now we're gonna switch and we're gonna go into chapter seven of Judges. And God does something kind of interesting here, right? So Gideon has this army of about 32,000 men. And God does something very interesting at the beginning of chapter 7. It says this. It says, early in the morning, Jeroboam, which is basically another name for Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My strength has saved me. 
Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remains. How crazy is this? So Gideon had 32,000 men. This wasn't enough men to conquer the Midianites, otherwise they would have already done so. So we realized that that already wasn't enough, or maybe they weren't um, equipped enough or um, had the necessary skills to be able to do so. And now God cuts this army by two-thirds, and now he's left with only 10,000 men. you got to be thinking what Gideon's probably thinking. is like, what the heck, God? Like, we couldn't do it with 32,000. How are we going to do it with 10,000? And over the next several verses, we're going to come to find out that God actually cuts this army down even further, all the way down to 300 men all the way down to 300 men. And Gideon's going, how are we going to do this? We couldn't do it with 32,000. How are we going to do it with 300? The next thing that I was saying is that oftentimes God weakens us so that we can lean into his power. God will intentionally allow us to be weakened because it forces us to then lean in to his power. God was very intentional with Gideon because he realized, and he said so himself, he's like, if Gideon went out with this army and they were able to conquer the Midianites, they'd probably sit and say, look at what we did. Look at what we were able to accomplish. But if he's able to do it with 300 men, the only response that Gideon can have is, this must have been God because there's no other way that it could have happened. And many times God wants us to have to do that same thing. He wants us to lean on him. Again, just as I said earlier, there's times that he puts us in situations where we're not ready for it. We don't have what we need. And sometimes he even takes it a step further and he allows us to be weakened even further. But in our culture, we view weakness as a bad thing, right? Especially here in this country, right? Because we're, we're Americans. We live in America. We drive big trucks, right? We're not weak. We're strong. USA, right? That's, that's the, the mantra that we want to have. We want to show strength. And so this idea of, of weakness just seems like such a foreign concept. Why would we ever want that? Think about Jesus. Think about when he was going to the cross and he was having to carry the cross. He was so weak in that moment. He couldn't even carry. He had to have somebody else come and help him because he had been beaten and he had been whipped and all these other things. And all these people around, they're looking at Jesus and saying, look how weak your king is. Look how weak this God is of yours. See, but we know the other end of that story, that we know that he was anything but weak in that moment. Jesus the human was weak. God the Father was anything but weak. And when you put those two together, you saw the strength that happened through the resurrection. But it created the opportunity that Jesus the human, his weakness allowed God's strength. The thing is that in our own lives, the same can be true. Paul understood this. Paul said the very same thing. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul wasn't having an, an identity crisis. Paul recognized that the, the moments in my life where I'm weak, it creates an opportunity for God's strength to step in because it's my only choice. When I'm weak, the only choice I have is to lean into God's power. We have that same opportunity. That there's times in our lives that God's asking us to do things. God's challenging us and we're saying, I don't have what it takes. And it forces us to rely on him. It forces us to say, look, I can't do this on my own. My only option is to lean in to God. 
You know, a phrase that you hear often is that, um, that you don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. But I think so often, again, in this country in particular, we don't always recognize that because a lot of times our needs are met. And so we don't necessarily have the dependence on God that we probably should. And because we, we don't view ourselves as weak and we don't view ourselves as, as needing this. And I think when we miss out on that, when we miss out on being truly dependent on God, we miss out on that power. We miss out on that strength that God wants for us. That's why so many times in our life it seems as though we're kind of taken down a notch. It seems as though our circumstances are working against us. But I think it's, I think it's God's using these things as allowing these things. He doesn't cause these things. Maybe be, be clear on that. He's not causing these things to happen. But I think he allows them to happen because it gives us an opportunity to become dependent on God. Because it's so easy for us not to be dependent on God. I think this shows in um, the, the way that we um, just live out our Christian faith. This, this past week... Uh, we were looking at some of our attendance numbers in Connection Kids. And we realized over the past seven or eight weeks, we've seen 675 different kids walk through those doors. And I was just absolutely blown away by that. I was like, that's, that's incredible. That's, that's awesome. But see, the, our weekly attendance is about 250, 260 kids. So that shows me something. It shows me that our families that attend this church they're only coming probably once every month or so, if that. And I'm like, why, why would that be? And I want to be very clear on something. Your church attendance is not what saves you. Your church attendance is not what makes you look better in the eyes of the Lord. There's nothing we can do to get God to love us anymore. And there's nothing that we can do to get God to love us any less. All right. So coming to church, that's not what saves you. All right. But you know what? I do think it's probably pretty vital to a growing relationship with Jesus. It's for us to gather together, for us to hear the word proclaimed, to see how we can apply it in our lives. I do think that that's pretty important in our faith. I think being involved in a small group is pretty important in our faith. And we only go once a month to our small group. We're not really gonna grow in our faith, right? And I think, so, so I want you to hear that. I think that the reasons we don't do these things, the reason we become so infrequent is because we're dependent on ourselves. And the only time that we, come, the only time that we do these things is when we feel like we need God. We get our refresher, we feel better about ourselves, and then, okay, then I got it. And basically, we're doing the same thing that we see with the people in Judges, where it's this cycle, where they got it, they're doing well, they begin to veer off course, and they come back to God again. And they get it, they veer off course, and they come back again. And I see that same cycle for so many of us. I believe we're missing out on an incredible opportunity for us to become dependent on God. If we were truly dependent on God, church attendance wouldn't be an issue. Reading the Bible enough wouldn't be an issue. And this is something the Lord's been convicting me of, is that like, I know I don't spend the, t- excuse me, the time in God's word that I need to. And I think the reason is because I'm not dependent on God. I'm not dependent that if I don't get in his word, it, nothing else matters. But you know what? I... I pick up my bootstraps, I, I begin to just live my life, and I, I, I try to do it without this. And it's because I'm not dependent on him. I become dependent on myself, and I say, I, I can do this. And it begins this thing about where it's just, I can just push through. The other um, week, you know, I was supposed to run sound for Connection students. This was a couple Wednesdays ago. And I was um, driving back from Dublin, and on, on the drive back, I started feeling kind of bad. 
and I'm like, I'm just gonna push through. I gotta, I gotta run sound tonight. I really need to push through. And so I came back here, but I was really, I wasn't feeling well at all. And so I just went and laid down for a little bit. I'm just, I'm gonna push through. I'm gonna push through because I, I gotta do this. And I tried as hard as I could to push through. I didn't make it, all right? But it was because I was trying to rely on my own self. And I, and, and I think that is an example of like, that's what we do in our faith is we just try to push through. We just try to muscle through instead of saying like, if I'm not in this word, if I'm not in prayer with God, if I'm not listening to his word proclaimed, then I can't do it. And we have to understand it. What, what is it gonna take, church, for us to have that type of dependence on God? I think we're gonna continue seeing God force us to do that if we don't allow that to happen naturally. So are you open to that? When you look at the circumstances in your life right now, are you viewing them as negative things? Or are you view, viewing them as an opportunity to press in and to lean into God? If you're struggling right now and you're feeling like nothing else is, is working, I feel like I'm just all on my own, perfect opportunity for you to lean into God because he's right there and he's lighting up your path. And it's a perfect opportunity for you to do that. So if you feel like today you're struggling, you feel like, I don't have it together and I'm just, I don't have anything else. I think you're in a great opportunity right now. I think God might have you right where he wants you because you have the opportunity to lean in to God's power. In verse seven and eight of chapter seven, it says this. Um, or actually start in verse eight. It says, now the camp of Midian lay down before in the valley. And it says, during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. So now God is challenging Gideon. Now God's saying, look, I've proven myself faithful. I've showed myself to you, but now there's a moment that it's time for you to get up and go. And basically he's asking Gideon to go down into this camp, right? Now the rubber is about to meet the road and Gideon has a choice to make. But the interesting thing is that in that verse, it says, get up and go. We see that same word that God said to Ananias, go. I think one of the best encouragements I can give you is that there's times that, you know what? We just have to go. We just have to step out. The final thing that I would say is that in listening to God and doing what he says, sometimes just like we just read, we just need to get up and go. We need to take a step. Because the thing is, is that God's not gonna take the steps for us. He's not gonna do it for us. He's gonna give us all the tools necessary. He's gonna be there every step of the way, but he's not actually gonna step out and take the step for us. God needed Gideon to step out and to actually go and fight the Midianites. We know later on in the story, pretty crazy things happens is that they go and they attack the Midianites. The Midianites end up turning on themselves. They end up killing all of themselves. Not one of Gideon's 300 men were killed and they become victorious over this. And so God did exactly as he promised. And it's just this, this incredible story, but Gideon had to step out and go. There, there was a moment where Gideon's like, God's confirmed all these things, but I still, he still had to step out and do it. 
You know, I think that about the book of Joshua. Right before you know, the book of Judges is the book of Joshua. And in the beginning of that chapter, there's a moment where um, the Israelites are having to cross the Jordan River. And that as they're getting ready to cross, it says that the, the river didn't separate until the priest's foot hit the water. What that shows us is that they had to take a step. Before God was going to do the next thing, they had to step out. The water didn't heap up until they took that first step. And I, and I think that we see, we see this throughout Scripture. We see that there's a, there's a call on us. We actually have to do something in our faith. And, you know, and just like I read earlier in Psalm 109, is that we have that lamp that's right in front of our feet. That's right in front of our feet, illuminating the area right in front of us. And it gives us the confidence to be able to take one step. But God wants us to do that. Sometimes we need that little push to say, go. So when I think about the question of, of how do I listen to God and do what he says? How do I actually respond when God's calling me to do something that I don't feel like I have what it takes? I don't feel like I'm smart enough. I don't feel like I'm prepared. I don't feel like I have the time in my schedule. I don't feel like I have the knowledge. Whatever that question is, whatever that thing that God's asking you to do, and he asks us to do something every single day. And if you're sitting here saying, how do I do that? How do I actually respond? I don't wanna simplify it too much, but I also don't wanna complicate it. I think the way we answer the how, how do we do that? I honestly think is as simple as this. We just step. We have to take a step. I'm not saying that that step's not gonna be scary. I'm not saying that step's not gonna be uncomfortable. I'm not saying that step's not gonna be intimidating. But we have to be willing to step. We talk about next steps in this church all the time. Are we willing to do them? Every single person in here, you have a step that you can take. And some of you in this room, you might not know anything else about the Bible. You might not know anything else about Christianity, but you've been holding back taking a step in your life. And that was a step to ask Jesus into your heart. And you know, you're, you're sitting here and you're saying, look, I don't, I don't know it all. And I don't know all the answers and I'm still kind of intimidated intimidated by this and I, and I just don't know what to think and in my life it's just not been going the way that I've wanted it to and today is the moment that you're going to cry out to God just like these Israelites did in this moment they're going to cry out and say God I just I need you I don't know what else happens after that I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring but I know I need to take one step and that step for me today is to ask Jesus into my heart and we'll see what happens after that and maybe that's you today maybe you need to do that I don't want to prolong that anymore. If, that, if you're in here today and you go, you know what, I've been coming for a while, but I've been putting this off because I've been afraid. I've been afraid to take one step. But right now in this moment, I almost feel as though there's a lamp right in front of me and I can't see anything else, but I'm seeing as clear as day that God is saying, I need to take one step out. And that's a step out to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So if you're in here today and that's you, I want you to boldly put your hand in the air and say yes to Jesus, that today you are ready to take that one step closer to Jesus. Is there anyone in here that's, that's you, that you want to ask Jesus into your heart? Okay. Every single one of us in here, though, 
have next steps that we can take. Maybe that's as I talked about earlier, um, taking that step to, to be baptized, to sign up to be able to do that. Maybe you know Jesus, but man, you wanna go public with your faith. Or maybe it's just taking a step and, and joining a group. Maybe it's taking a step and it's going back to group because you haven't been to group and you need to get back into group. And you've allowed your schedule or your busyness to get in the way of your, your faith. And you've become dependent on yourself instead of dependent on God. I don't know what your step is. Maybe it's just to, to read the Bible, to say, I, I don't know where to begin. Maybe you just need to pull out your phone, download the Bible app and click the first reading plan you see. Maybe that's your step. I don't know what step that is that God is challenging you to take, but I encourage you just to pause for a moment and say, God, what's being illuminated right in front of me? What, are, what is it that you're asking me to do right now? If you're thinking, you know what, I just don't feel like God's asking me anything. I don't know how to listen. Think back to last week. How do we hear from God? We go to his word. We go to him in prayer. We look at our circumstances and what's going on around us. And we listen to the people around us that love us and that care about us. We use those four things as a way to hear from the Lord. I think when we begin doing those things, it's gonna be very clear what God wants for you. Is it gonna be clear every step you're gonna have to take? It's not, but he's gonna make that first step very clear. The only reason we would say that it's not clear is because we don't really wanna do it and we're afraid of it and we're intimidated by it. I would say this morning, don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid of what God is asking you to do because this is an opportunity for you to lean in to God's strength. I wanna read one more scripture to you. When, uh, when Gideon went down into this, this camp um, to, to battle the Midianites, he comes across these, these two Midianites and they're talking and one of them is sharing a dream that he had. And the other one is interpreting this dream. And in this, basically the interpretation is this guy saying that we're about to be taken over. This guy named Gideon's gonna come in and we're gonna lose to him. And Gideon's listening to this interpretation and he hears what's about to take place. Basically, he hears this promise that God had given him. He's now seeing that these Midianites, they're, they're seeing the same thing. And I want, you to, I want you to listen and I want you to pay attention to what Gideon's response is to his, um, his seeing God's promise, his seeing God's faithfulness. In verse 15 of chapter seven, it says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. I would ask us this morning, in response to God's faithfulness, in response to God's promises, in response to all that God has done in our lives, is our response worship? Is that what we go to? Is that what we think immediately? Whenever we see God's goodness in our life take place, is our natural response, I need to worship Him. Worship looks a lot of different ways, but one of the ways that we do that as a body, one of the ways that we do that collectively is through song. We have the opportunity to respond to God, to respond to Him for His goodness. Guys, I want us to press into worship here. Sometimes, um, being perfectly honest, I don't think we give it our all in here. I don't think we truly respond to how good God is in our worship times. I want us to change that right now. 
Maybe you need to just forget about the person on your left and the person on your right, and you need to just fix your eyes on Jesus. It doesn't matter what, uh, what you sound like. It doesn't matter what your neighbor sounds like. Maybe you need to sit quietly. Maybe you need to lift your hands. Maybe you need to come and you need to pray. Maybe you need to meet with one of our, our prayer team and, and have some time of prayer. But I think we need to press into God a little bit because I think he's given us plenty to be thankful for. I think he's been given us plenty to be able to look to him, just like he showed Gideon how faithful he was. He's shown us that time and time again. So let's remember the cross. Let's remember how good God is. And let's take a moment to sing to him and to say, God, you are good. You are good. Let's press in. Can we do that? Can we press in a little bit to the Lord and worship him?